the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and no pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper on the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. And today we'll be discussing the effects of a signing in Tampa Bay and the third base crop. And just a quick programming note, we are going to be recording once a week on Thursdays for the foreseeable future. So don't miss us too much. And as always, if you have any questions for us, then you can tweet us at Eno Saris, at Mike Podhorzer, or comment on our articles. We love comments. So first, we are going to start with the most interesting player alive, and that's Mike Trout. Have you heard of Mike Trout? You know, I've heard of Mike Trout. But seriously, the, the one question that I wanted to ask you, because we've talked more than enough about him, is he the guaranteed, automatic, number one choice in straight draft leagues next year? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's just the, 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 the difference in age between him and Miguel Cabrera is so large. And the and the fact that we saw Miguel sort of start to break down and just the, what we know about that kind of body type and how it you know, ends up on the DL more often and that sort of thing. Um, I think that we're just seeing the, the torch being passed a little bit. Um, you know, one way that I can answer this is that Ron Chandler um, – you know, famously said that um, that Mike Trout would regress this year, and, and I just spent the weekend in Arizona uh, at his symposium, the first pitch, um, and everyone was making fun of him all weekend. It was kind of <laughs> um, uh, actually Jason Collette bought him a, a beer called Trout Slayer, eh. um, and uh, and gave that to him. Um, and uh, then we had, on the last day, we had uh, a consensus two-round pick where we all, um, a two-round draft where we just did wanted to see what the top 25, 30 players would look like. And um, the first pick was actually Miguel Cabrera, so that kind of goes against what I'm saying. But I think the crowd uh, felt that Mike Trout was the one, and Ron Chandler himself admitted that Mike Trout would be um, his pick. So Wow, that's quite a turnaround. Yeah, yeah, and he thinks. I, I think what he was saying was that there's that, you know, there's a sixty to seventy percent possibility he's not the number uh, number one most valuable player next year, but that that the, the thirty or forty percent chance that he is is probably a higher number than anybody else's. Well, sure. I mean, that's how you always have to look at it. Is that we're not saying he's definitely going to be the number one, but his chances of being the best player is a higher percentage than anybody else, and and that's what makes you decide to go with him. Yeah, I would do it. I I personally prefer five categories. Uh, it's just a really nice thing, especially if it's five outfielders. You know, then to have a guy who's 30-30 in that spot, um, you know, I, I would feel really good about that. All right, so we have not really gotten into the exciting offseason of signings. It's, it's still too early, but there was an interesting move that the Rays made. They signed David DeJesus to a two-year deal, and as a fan of Desmond Jennings, this worries me a little bit. What do you think this signing, how does it impact Rays outfielders? They got Jennings, Matt Joyce, Kelly Johnson, Sean Rodriguez, 
Delman Young. I don't know if you consider him an outfielder or strictly a DH at this point. But it's a, a rather crowded group of players here. And Jennings, this year, offensively, certainly didn't stand out to basically guarantee that he's a lockdown, everyday center fielder. Yeah, but there are more obvious uh, platoon opportunities, I think, um, in that outfield. Uh, obviously, uh, Matt Joyce is in a straight platoon. Um, but, uh, you know, DeJesus, you can still, even though he's a lefty, I think you can still platoon him with Joyce because he hasn't shown the same kind of platoon uh, splits that Joyce has in the past. Um, you know, I think DeJesus is more of, you know, a guy that, doesn't hurt you in any one stat, doesn't really help you in any one stat, and can kind of play any de- offensive, uh, any defensive position in the outfield. So I, I think he's more of a glue guy. I don't think he's going to push anybody from a starting job. Uh, I think he just gives them the opportunity to say, okay, we're going to go in with a front four of Jennings, Myers, um, Joyce, and DeJesus. And really, Joyce plays a lot of DH. Um, so you're, you're, you're kind of saying... You know, in the outfield, we'll probably be DeJesus, Jennings, Joyce. Uh, DeJesus, Jennings, Myers, with uh, with Joyce mostly DHing, and then we'll fill in the. I think the rest of the guys you ma- named are all just filling the gaps, guys. I don't even think Kelly Johnson's with the team. Uh, I think Ke- uh, Delman Young might have been just a, a part-time pickup. I don't think he's uh, under contract. So, uh, yeah, Sean Rodriguez is, but he's a lefty killer, so you can platoon him with DeJesus or platoon him with Joyce where you, you, you play somebody at DH. Anyway, my point is I think he's a glue guy. I don't think he's pushing anybody off of a starting role. Yeah, this is true. I mean, the guys I named, I don't know what their roles are going to be. Again, these guys could be free agents, and I neglected to actually look that stuff up. Sean Rodriguez, who knows? I mean, he's been around as some utility guy as well. Obviously, these aren't guys that are going to take at-bats away from Jennings, but we did see Jennings lose some at-bats in September to DeJesus. And with the Rays, one of those forward-looking organizations that aren't afraid to platoon a lot of their guys, it's just one more concern that I have that as long as Jennings is continuing to disappoint offensively, then he has to rebound and, and have that breakout year to really make fantasy owners comfortable that he's got the lockdown everyday job and he'll get his 600 at-bats if he doesn't get injured, like he keeps doing. Yeah, I think the the one argument uh, in Jennings' favor um, is that the Rays have a lot of, or have a decent amount of glue guys, but I think what separates them from um, postseason success or, or more success, if there is something, is uh, sort of superstar uh, performances. I mean, especially, I think, when it comes with bats. So they've got Longoria. Myers has superstar potential uh, with with some warts. And then you're kind of looking around for a bat that might have the potential to be a number three hitter or a number two hitter. Um, to kind of fill out the middle of that, that lineup. And I think um, without, uh, without uh, Jennings, I don't think you would necessarily have that. So I think that they're going to give him some rope is basically what I'm saying. I think Jennings is going to have, uh, have, have a chance to show himself. And you know what? I didn't realize that he was actually better than I thought. He posted a 330 Woba, which is pretty good for a center fielder. And he actually posted a three-war 
for the last two seasons. That's actually much better than I thought Jennings provided in terms of value. So he definitely shouldn't be platoon going forward. And, I mean, in September, he lost at bats. So even if you look at the overall season value and the fact that he still ended up being platoon, uh, that is a concern because it proves that they weren't afraid to do so. But, I mean, I guess it, it shouldn't have happened because he did provide good overall value. All right, let's talk about third baseman. So give us a sleeper at the position to start things off. Um, you know, it's an interesting uh, position, actually. And I, and I like a lot of the guys to repeat their seasons. Um, Longoria hit 266. He can hit anywhere from 260 to 300 in any given year. Um, and he could probably have more runs in RBI. So, you know, Longoria, I think, could, could move from that 5-6 spot up into the top three. But, uh, you know, he still, gets, he still goes for top three prices a lot. So I'm not sure if that makes him a sleeper. Um, you know, moving down the list, uh, you know, David Wright as a number 11 guy is very tempting, but his uh, plate appearances per year are kind of going down. I mean, he, he's starting to hit the DL a little bit more. He's past 30. So the first time that I see a guy that I just think is too low and is going to be super cheap is Martin Prado, I think. Um, I'm not sure that there's a ton of projectability left in, in most of those numbers. I just think that, uh, you know, I think the batting average can improve a little. I think he's steal a couple more bases. I think he's, you know, score a couple more runs. And just across the board improvement will bring him into the top 10. Um, and... Uh, I think after that year, he's going to be super cheap. I've already traded once this offseason. Do you really think, though, that Prado could reach double-digit stolen bases again? No, I, I, I just think five, six, seven. I think I just think that his modest uh, – I don't think he's a, a high upside guy. You know, I'd, I'd reach a little bit lower for a high upside guy, probably Jerko in, in, in San Diego. But um, in, in terms of guys that are you know right outside the top 12 that uh, might go in – you know, it actually might be – it's a bad choice on my part because he's probably uh, second base eligible in a lot of leagues. And, you know, he's going to be more uh, more important to the discussion over there. So uh, I guess I'll take Jerko and just say that I think he could hit, you know, 270 next year with 25 homers. And I think that's probably going to be close to top 12. You know, in a lot of ways, Martin Prado isn't that much different than a Matt Carpenter. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I mean uh, – they have similar approaches. They have similar power levels. They don't steal bases. Um, and uh, if, if the lineup around Martin um, improves, I think you'll see his runs in RBI improve too. Yeah, I mean, it's a possibility. I just don't see much upside. Basically, what I think it is is that his stolen base total in 2012 with the Braves was so out of nowhere that it inflated his projections for his speed. He stole 17 bases out of nowhere, at a good rate as well. But for his career, he's only been like three to five a year and at a bad percentage. I mean, he's stolen 33 out of 57 successfully in his career. That's not a good percentage. So I don't know what got in, into him in 2012, but it seems totally out of character and a clear fluke. And so I, I can't really project any more than five, I would say. Um, everything else looks fairly reasonable i think he could hit 300 so there is some upside there but i don't see any more real power potential 
So it's it's pretty much more of the same with maybe a slightly higher batting average to me, which might move him up a place or two in the rankings at most. Yeah, except uh, there's one thing you might be missing is that uh, you're going to lose a lot of third basemen ahead of him. So I think he's basically going to move up by staying the same. And, and basically, uh, Edwin Encarnacion is no longer a third baseman. Uh, Matt Carpenter is no longer a third baseman. Uh, Mark Trumbo is no longer a third baseman. It's true. Uh, Manny Machado is out for the first month. Um, so you're, you're talking about you know looking at drafts where you know four of the guys ahead of him that makes him already number nine. Um, so I just don't think that people will think of him as a top ten third baseman, and it might be moved because they'll be thinking of him as a second baseman if they can. Um, but you know, I, I just think he's a vanilla guy that won't cost much, that um, probably won't hurt you much. I mean, we saw the worst that we could see out of Martin Prado early this season. And then he turned it on, and, and he basically had another Martin season. So uh, I, I like that better than, say, you know, like, um, I mean, just or Chris Johnson right behind him, right? Chris Johnson uh, has more upside with the power, perhaps. Uh, he's shown a high batting average on balls in play for his career. Um, but I just think there's a lot more risk there. And uh, I think that some people will love the batting average so much they'll actually pay more for Chris Johnson than Martin Prado. Yeah, Martin Prado also, his rebound in the second half, is just another great example of how you need to be excruciatingly patient with your fantasy players and put complete faith in the projections. Of course there are going to be busts and there are going to be breakouts every single year, but Odds are that a player is going to perform rather similarly to how you expected. And so I'm sure Prada was dropped in a lot of leagues and his owners got the bad first half and missed out on the good Prado. And and that kills fantasy owners and fantasy teams. And, and so you have to be patient and put faith that these players are going to eventually perform the way that you expect them to. All right. My guy is fairly obvious and somebody that I thought you might name – and that's Brett Laurie, who only ranked 29th among all third basemen, which was obviously a huge disappointment. So he's now coming off of two disappointing seasons in a row. And I have to say that I feel like it's an almost guarantee that whatever he goes for and wherever, whatever round he gets drafted in your fantasy league, it's like a 95% chance that he's going to earn you a profit. How much? I don't know. But I feel pretty confident in saying that he's going to be a very profitable investment next year, no matter where he gets drafted. Because two seasons in a row of disappointment, and fantasy owners at this point, I think that's usually enough where they're just jumping off the bandwagon and forgetting about him. You agree? Yeah, I, I just didn't, I didn't scroll down far enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think the skills are still there. The, the thing that worried me this year was there was a time when he was striking out 30% of the time, and that was just crazy. Uh, but then he went back to the minors and he came back up and he he made his contact. So when I look at him, I, I see a guy that uh, has a, at least league average power, maybe more, uh, is makes contact at better than league average rate and has speed. So I have no idea why he has a 269 batting average for his career. Um, and I guess he's got some semi-inflated infield fly ball uh, rates, but the league average is around nine and a half or something, and he's at ten and a half. So, uh, you know, he hits more ground balls than fly balls. He's had some years where he's had good line drives. So, I, <clears throat> I think that uh, you know, 
I think Steamer has a I, – I, I would say Steamer has a pretty good floor for him, which is 270, 16, like 15, 15, basically. So uh, I would treat that as a bit of a floor because we've seen much better than that out of him. And an engaged, you know, healthy year out of him would uh, will actually surprise a lot of people, I think. And that's only in 515 at-bats. So if he remains healthy all year, he's going to get more than that, maybe 550, 575. So that'll improve his counting stats as well. And the thing is that his batted ball distribution looks decent, so he should not be posting below league average BABIPs. I mean, there are some red flags. His batted ball distance last season, or well, this season, only 273 feet and only 265 in 2012. That's low. And I think the issue is that the power he showed when he debuted in 2011 really inflated everybody's expectations on what kind of power he's going to show in the majors. And I'm, I'm really actually wondering what his true talent power level is because he's shown excellent power in the minor leagues, and then he showed it in 2011 in Toronto, but ever since, it's disappeared. So I don't really know what happened. I don't know what his upside is anymore. I don't know if his upside is a 25-30 home run guy or if his upside is a 20 home run guy. But either way, I think it's if he stays healthy, I think 15-15 is a fairly reasonable projection, and that's going to be undervalued. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, it wouldn't be that hard to, to push that into, uh, into the, you know, top 12, I don't think. I mean... Let's see. Uh, Prado hit 280 with 14 homers and nine uh, and three stolen bases. Um, so I think he would, even in our calculations, be ahead of that. You know, with the stolen bases. Um, David Wright hit 300 with 18 homers and 17 stolen bases, but he only was in 430 at bats. So uh, he'd be right there, 10, 11, 12, even this year. So and you take some of those guys out. Um, of these rankings because uh, they're not third baseman anymore. And uh, I think, yeah, I think you've got, I would say, he's, I mean, I don't want to say he's a lock, but I, I would say he's very, he would have to be injured again to not be a top 12 player. And he will not go for top 12 prices. Yeah. I mean, any insight into what the deal is with his power? Because I'm kind of at a loss here. Well, I mean, he was traded, um, and he, you know, he was traded, and well, I mean, that doesn't explain anything, I guess, because he mostly played with the Blue Jays. But I mean, we do we do know that the Blue Jays have a bit of a, a flyball philosophy. And if you look at his first year, um, he was he hit a lot of fly balls, and then since then, he's hit more ground balls. So I, I would say I would like to talk to him, and hopefully he would have something to say about swing plane because I see a guy who's sort of searching for his swing plane a little, little bit. Yeah, and then tell him to stay healthy for a full year, and then we'd be happy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, how about a bust? Um, I think that one's a little bit easier. <clears throat> um, you got a lot of old guys at the top. Uh, Miguel Cabrera, Edwin Encarnacion, and Adrian Beltre are all post-peak. Um, I think you could, you could, uh, you you would project for all three of those. You project fewer um, play appearances in the future, I think. Um, and I think a lot of people will be pro- uh, tempted to project more uh, play appearances. Um, I'm not going with Josh Donaldson. I mean, I don't think that he can. He'll necessarily hit 300 again. 
Um, but uh, I like the changes he made to his swing. I think he can hit 280 with 20-plus homers. Yes, that'll, that'll probably move him down a little bit, but um, I don't see him as a bust to like totally fall out the top 12. I also don't see him as a bust simply because there is no way fantasy owners truly believe in him. He's yeah. He wasn't some hype prospect that made good. He was an out-of-nowhere guy that he's not going to go for fifth overall ranked prices. He's, there's going to be some sort of a regression baked into his draft price, I would assume, to make yeah. it fair. I don't want to pick Carpenter again. I, you know, we've, we've, we've discussed that into the ground. So I guess I'll, I'll say Manny Machado. Yeah. Um, he's going he's gonna to miss a month. Um, and now finding out his infield fly ball splits, I don't think you can project him for anything better than a 280 average. I might project him for less than a 280 average. Um, and until he really, he's a pull hitter for power and he doesn't really, uh, go the other way for power. I mean, he'll hit some doubles the other way, but he doesn't hit them out the other way. So, um, I don't, I don't see where the improvement's going to come on offense. Really. I don't think he's going to steal a lot more bases, you know, after hurting his knee. Um, so I don't really, I don't see, I don't see many, I think a lot of people will be surprised that Manny only earned 11 bucks last year. Yeah, well, it's because of his second half. He was so good in the first half, people don't realize that he was a lot worse in the second half. I mean, he was batting well over 300 for most of the year, and he only finished at 283 because that second half wasn't that good where he didn't contribute basically anywhere. Uh, yeah, Machado is the obvious choice, especially after the knee injury. But even without the injury, people have to realize that he – got these counting stats in 667 at-bats. He had over 700 plate appearances. Even without the knee injury, you just couldn't possibly project that many at-bats again, which would bring down all of his counting stats. And all of a sudden, he's a 12-home run, four-stolen base guy with 80 runs scored and, and 65 RBIs. That's not so good. And, and that's not even factoring in a batting average that's probably going to decline because with all those pop-ups, he's not going to maintain uh, a BABIP of 322 again. Yeah. I mean, the good news is that 51 doubles, that's a lot of doubles. It's probably led the league or came close. So you wonder, are those doubles going to turn into home runs? And uh, I've read studies saying that, no, that's a myth, even though it makes so much sense. But obviously, scouts expected him to be a, a big power guy. And so given the fact that he only posted a 7.9% home run per fly ball ratio, and he did have uh, basically a league average batted ball distance, you would think that that's gotta, that home run per fly ball has got to at least jump to, say, 10 11%. And, and I think that would offset some of the at-bat decline. Yeah, I mean, I... I think the problem with the the, the doubles uh, was showing that doubles turn into home runs is the same problem that you, you had when you were doing the research on um, on on uh, batted ball distance because it, you know the only the only way that a double is going to turn into a home run is if it's hit further and I mean that sounds stupid to say but basically what I'm saying is that batted ball distance has to factor into this and uh, the only way that we're going to notice that they're hitting them further and that possibly the doubles are going to turn into to home runs is if we look at the batter ball distance. And so, therefore, it's better to ignore the doubles totals um, uh, and, and therefore just focus on batter ball. 
Yeah, this is this is true. I mean, I think the theory behind it is that you know a gust of wind or maybe slightly hotter day, so the ball flies a little further, or maybe a, a centimeter difference of where the bat hits the ball, such minute differences that can turn a double into a home run that you would think, oh, out of all those doubles, surely a couple of them, given those minute differences, a couple of them, they would it, it would go his way and they would become home runs. So I think that's a theory behind it. But yeah, with new data with batted ball distance, I mean, that's all taken care of. And, and you don't have to look at doubles anymore. You just look at the batted ball distance. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, if the guy is before, you know younger than 25 then or 26 then I'm willing to to just put in some natural power um, as they get bigger but um, you know from my research ISO peaks at 26 which you know of course isolated slugging percentage has a, a speed component to it and so I kind of want to do redo that research with, with home runs for a fly ball but I still think that um, if you think about it I think the power as a as a physical um, as a physical trait would peak earlier than people have it just because our bodies peak uh, peak earlier than that I mean there's probably a learned uh, skill part of it where you recognize pitches that you can hit for power and so therefore you know maybe home runs you can hit some home runs even though you're a little bit less powerful in terms of your muscles um, but I think that uh, that as physical beings we peak a little bit earlier than 27. All right, let's talk about Nolan Arenado. Uh, this is a guy who is a defensive whiz, obviously a big-time prospect, had a big year in 2011 between rookie ball and high A, then was a disappointment at double A in 2012, didn't show much power. Then he was huge in spring training, and the thought was maybe he can crack the starting third base job considering they were playing uh, – Jordan Pacheco and uh, oh, who's the guy that the Angels picked up and the Chris Nelson, and so the opportunity was there. Uh, but he eventually was called up, and he had a, a respectable rookie year, but not exactly all ex that exciting. But I look at him, and I, I, I'm feeling like in a full season, he can come pretty close to what Manny Machado can do. It, projections wise, I feel like I'm not going to be that different between those two. Yeah, I do actually. I, I like him. Um, you know, one of the things that's nice about him is uh, just the the uh, the ability to make contact and and have power is a is a, is a good combination. Right? And you know, to do that in in his home park, um, just uh, is a really great combination. So I, I think he can be one of those high average um, sluggers, and I do think he'll be a slugger eventually. I mean. Um, He's uh, how old is he? He's only 22. Uh, so I would actually add that natural power progression as he learns the league. I think he has two or three more years of of just natural filling out. Uh, maybe next year, you know, a conservative projection like Steamer would have him at 275 with you know 20 homers in a full season or something like that. Or um, that that seems like a, a decent player right there. I don't think you know he'll necessarily steal many bases, but um, you know I, I think that's. Uh, that's a good season, and he, even if uh, he has some real life warts in terms of you know lack of walks, and um, you know he he still has a great glove. So I think that the great glove will keep him there. The contact ability will keep his batting average up, and the power will sort of add every season. 
Yeah, there's so many things that I like here. His ex-BABIP that I just calculated, 322 versus a 296 actual BABIP. So you combine uh, an increased BABIP, plus he plays half his games in Coors Field, and Coors Field inflates BABIP. So you could factor that in as well and think that it's not unreasonable if he ended up with a 330 BABIP. Combine that with a very good contact rate and growing power, and... I might boldly predict that he goes, you know, 2,300. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility and that crazy. He's hit 300 in the minors. He's hit for high averages before and for pretty good isolated slugging percentages as well. Good batted ball profile. Could afford to hit a few more fly balls. But everything looks good here, and his defense will keep him in the lineup. Yeah, and, you know, he had kind of strikeout rates that, that scream, you know, great hit tool, plus hit tool. I mean, he had sub-10% strikeout rates at some at some spots, and even in double-A AA and triple-A was just, you know, maybe like an 11% strikeout rate. That's great. That's really nice. Um, and to pair that with power, it's just, that's really exciting. I mean, well, a prospect that I like that I talked to in the AFL um, is uh, Mookie Betts. And uh, he plays second. You know, there might be a, a different position in his future because he plays for Boston. But um, uh, he uh, he had uh, higher walk rates than strikeout rates. So he had nine and ten percent walk rates and uh, lo- lower than ten percent uh, strikeout rates. And he had ISOs between 180 and 200. And that's you know before I saw him play, that was like the reason I picked him up in dynasty leagues and the reason I liked him. So um, you see the same sort of package from Arenado, except he's in the major leagues. He's playing in Colorado and um, he's proven it to some extent in the major leagues. Yeah. So, I mean, he's another guy that you can slap the the sleeper tag on only a 7.1% home over fly ball ratio, but his batted ball distance was 280 feet, which was about league average. So again, just like Manny Machado, you have to think, especially in Coors Field, he can get that up to at least 10%, which combined with an increase in at-bats, I mean, that can easily put him into the 15 to 20 home run range. And if you think that he bats 280 to 290 in a, a pretty good lineup, that's fairly decent and somebody that I would like to have in an NL-only league. For sure. All right. Let's talk about what happened to Chase Headley. What do we possibly expect moving forward? Because this year, injury or not, whether it was that finger that he injured in spring training or not, it kind of just points to 2012 being the absolute fluke, and this is what Headley is. So what do you believe? Is that this is what Headley is, or are we going to blame injuries, and you think maybe he has enough to get back to the 20-home run plateau? Well... You know, there was a change in the year, um, in, in the big year. You know, there was a change. He started pulling the ball more. And um, and I think that did lead to the power ex- explosion. So even given that and given the fact that he pulled the ball a lot last year and he still showed a better ISO than he had, you know, the three years prior, there is a change. So between, you know, the 2012-2013 Headley different from the 2009 to 2011 Headley. He pulls the ball more and he has slightly more power. So that's that's actually, that's a different Headley. Even if there was regression in 2013, he's a pull, he's a pull hitter now. So the question now is, does he, you know, sort of go back to pushing the ball more in an effort to get the batting average up? 
or does he just settle in as a pull hitter, um, you know, with about a league average power, maybe a little bit better? Um, I don't think that there's an obvious answer to that, actually. I think that he could go into the season because he's done it before. He said, I'm going to be a pull hitter now. And then he was a pull hitter and he hit 30 homers. He could say, I'm, you know, I think I'm going to go back to pushing the ball some more. And he could hit 300 next year with, you know, 10 homers. So I just, I just think that that's a lame answer, I know. But it's, it's all over the place. I would say that most likely he's comfortable pulling the ball. And I'll take the over on power projections and, uh, and settle in just south of 20 homers with, uh, with like a 260 batting average. What I find interesting is that his fly ball rate has essentially declined every single year in the majors. In 2007, only 18 at bats, so it's kind of irrelevant, but it started out at 43%, then 37%, and now it's just 31%. So I can't imagine it continuing to decline, but I guess there is some upside there that the fly ball rate increases a bit. And what I would want to do with Headley is pay prices for him that equate to this season. Basically, a a 12-home run... 10 stolen base guy batting 260 or so. If I can buy him at that price, because I think that there's all upside from there. We know he's going to deliver on that, but he's got that upside, I think, still to hit 20 home runs and steal double digits bases batting 270, 280. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, obviously I think he'll be pretty cheap. And I, and I think that last year is a bit of a baseline. I mean, he's, He's hit better than that in terms of batting average every season in his career. And I and basically my analysis in terms of, you know, he's not the same guy who hit four homers in 2011. I'm 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 pretty sure of that. So, um I think that uh last year's provides a baseline and if you pay for that, uh you're not going to pay too much and you might uh you might get better. So, um I I'm not I'm not totally down on him. In fact, um I have an on-base percentage league that I'm thinking of right now that uh, I tried to get him near the end of the season, and the owner said, I know what you're trying to do. Well, you know what? I'm going to try again. All right, let's move along to the large panda in Pablo Sandoval. And uh, I could swear you wrote an article about him this week, but it's not linked. Did you do so? You, You wrote an article about him this week, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll go link it after this. But um, yeah, it was a uh, it was a fun article. Um, I did uh, with the help of Zimmerman. I, I checked out um, how often heavier players land on the DL, um, which is I think something that probably showed up in the aging curves um, that we've seen for heavier players. Players uh, age worse than um, than uh, skinnier players, but um, and that's a total like duh moment. But um, you know, I also found that um, uh, heavier players had three times more DL stints um, than than skinnier players. So, um, you know, despite the fact that uh, he says that, you know, this year or next year he's going to get in shape. <laughs> um, I don't know why not this year or last year. You know? <laughs> but uh, he says he's going to finally get in shape. One of the things is he listed at 240, so I use that as a cutoff. I don't think he's been 240 for a sustained stretch of time since he's been in the big league. So, um, you know, to get down to 240 only puts him in the same group of people that I had him in, um, which means, which is to say that he's been on the DL before in the past, and 
the group of people he's in is three times more likely to be on the down, be on the future. So I don't think you can project him for you know 700 play appearances this year. His performance history has been crazy. If you look at his strikeout rate, every single year of his career, it's been between 13.1% and 13.5%. Talk about consistency. And even his walk rates have been extremely consistent between 6.9 and 8.6%. So he's really been essentially the same player in terms of plate discipline stats, but his power has been all over the place. His batting average has been all over the place, either well above 300 or in the 270 to 280 range. And he's either a, uh, a Chase Headley low sing, uh, low double digits, low teens home run total, or 23 or 25 home runs. So he is extremely hard to peg what his true talent level is. Now, his batted ball distance has consistently been about 290 feet, which is excellent, and matches up with a much higher than 10% home run per fly ball ratio. So I'm wondering how AT&T has affected his power. I'm sure it has because as a switch hitter, he – he bats lefty more often, and that's not a good park to be a left-handed power hitter in. Uh, there's a couple things going on here. Um, and I think injury is actually at the center of a lot of this. So, for one, uh, the things that you mentioned, power and batting average, are all big sample things. Um, Babbitt takes, like, uh, I was talking to Derek Carty this weekend. Babbitt is, like, I think, like, four or five seasons before you can believe, on the pitcher side at least. So, uh, Bab is one of those things that we almost don't know anything about in terms of a one-year thing. Um, and then power is another thing that takes forever to, to, to normalize. So these swings are probably due to lower sample sizes due to the fact that he's been hurt a lot. Um, and then you add in the fact that he's hurt his wrists, uh, which are you know associated, things associated with power. And he's, you know, in specific, the, the bone, um, the hamate or I – yeah, I think it's hamate, but anyway um, – that that bone in the wrist that that uh, people hurt by grabbing the, the knob of the bat, he's you know he's had surgeries to remove both of those, and so that affects him. Sometimes it affects him from the left. Even he's even had injuries where his hamstrings hurt him, and it, it affects him from hitting from the left or hitting to the right. So there's all these little things that are adding up, and 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 they're taking away from you know getting a good look at him in a healthy sample. So you know the one thing that I would say about that uh the fact that his plate discipline has, has seemed so you know uh stable is that uh, one of the things that he does really well is make contact on pitches outside the zone um or he has some years um and uh and that's relevant because he definitely swings at pitches outside the zone a lot um and yeah according to pitch fx he's had a he, he has contact outside the zone about 10 or 12 percent than league average. But that is, that's the, the worst skill to age. Um, and I think that makes sense. If you think about it, making contact on something outside the zone probably takes a lot of wrist strength, uh, a lot of sort of hand-eye coordination, a lot of athleticism, I think. Um, and he really shouldn't be swinging at those things. But, you know, aging, aging curves suggest he's only going to swing at them more and miss at them more. So I think you're going to start seeing that strikeout rate get worse. He's going to miss a lot of time. He's going to be a first baseman very soon. Um, in my sample, there was one other third baseman over 240 pounds, and that was Scott Rowland. And I don't think these two guys, you know, I don't think Pablo Sandoval looks like Scott Rowland. <laughs> so, uh, you know, basically you've got a first baseman who's gonna, who, who relies on contact and sometimes uh, okay power who uh, may start seeing that contact go away and may be a first baseman very soon. 
Now you say, okay, power. Steamer actually projects a rebound in power, a 188 ISO in 22 home runs. Do you think that's fair, or are you taking the under there? You know, in a healthy year, that's not terrible. I mean, he's obviously done better than that before uh, and twice. So I don't, I don't hate the ISO. What I would take is the under on the plate appearances. So um, I would take about 50, at least 50 uh, plate appearances off of that, which is probably two or three homers. So you're talking about 18 to 19 homers, you know, 70 to 80 runs in RBI each, a stolen base, and then, you know, a batting average anywhere from 280 to 300. Actually, you know what? This is a real surprise because the steamer plate appearance projection would actually be a career high for Sandoval. And it's not like he's some rookie. I mean, this is a guy who's had five seasons, full seasons, in the major leagues. So for a projection system to project a career high in plate appearances is really surprising to me because they usually are conservative by nature. And given that his last three years of plate appearances, you would expect something more along the lines of 550 or so yeah I, well i mean if you don't if you cover portion you know he's 27 this year so it could be about aging curves for all batters that they're kind of using in their projections uh but if you do look at the aging curve for for a uh, for heavier hitters they start declining uh, at 27 and 28 so uh you know most hitters are are in their peak i think he might be post peak which is Sad because he thought for some reason he could uh, he could uh, get healthy right in time for his peak. Um, so, you know, and I also, you know, not that I love talking about makeup issues. Um, you know, to have a guy say something like that, like, oh, I'll get healthy in two years. Uh, that's not exactly what I want to hear out of, my, out of a star or out of a guy I'm about to pay money to. All right, let's finish things up with a look at Adrian Beltre, who finished third among third basemen in fantasy value this year. And he's been super consistent. You basically know exactly what you were going to be getting from him for the past four years. But next year, he's going to be 35 years old. And if there was any other bust candidates we can think of, I think Beltre, simply due to aging, I think he makes a very good kind of stealthy bus candidate because there doesn't seem to be any obvious red flags, but you have to think the decline is going to be coming soon. There's a, the, you know, it's hard to say things definitively about his power for his career because those Mariners years totally screw up all of his power numbers. Um, but I'd say that, you know, given the baseline he he established in Boston and Texas, that, you know, the fact that he had the worst isolated percentage in those four years and the worst um, home run per fly ball rate, that's, uh, that's interesting to me. Um, you know, one thing that hitters do also as they get older is they hit more ground balls. Um, and, uh, you know, I think he's going to start hitting more ground balls. Uh, he'll, he has to miss some time. I mean, He's, he's been so healthy over his career. But it's just, you know, it happens to older players. And you, you see that one year with the Rangers where he had 500 plate appearances, another one with the Mariners. So, you know, Steamer does project him, uh, to be fair, for uh, a modest amount of plate appearances. So uh, I, could, I could dig it with Steamer. Uh, I might, you know, take a homer or two off of that and, and, and say he's not a lock for 30 home runs. 
Yeah, I mean, what it comes down to is his likely cost. I just don't see... You're not going to get him undervalued. So I just don't see any reason to pay this much for a 35-year-old. That's basically what it comes down to for me. I'd much rather pay fair value for a younger guy who I know has upside or a better chance to actually reach his projections because we don't have to worry about any aging concerns. You feel the same way? I mean, it's it's so hard because he's he's been so nice for so for like, you know, ever since Boston. But um, you know, 35, you know, age comes for everyone. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't for David Ortiz and we were saying the same thing about David Ortiz. Age has to catch up with you eventually. And you don't want to be his owner when it does. Well, you know, also another thing about Beltre is that he actually does have a little bit of that O-contact um, ability. Um, so, you know, that could that could at some point. For some reason, it's been going off. <laughs> I don't know how he's, he's done that. swinging less often outside. His O-swing percentage, for the most part, has declined while his Oh, contact has increased, which is really weird. Well, no, I, that might mean he's he's still swinging outside the zone, but he's being he's swinging at better pitches outside the zone. I don't know. Um, and his overall contact percentages are, are pretty good, um, but you know that still makes me a little bit nervous. I don't know why I would look at you know someone like him just from a discipline standpoint and then look at someone like Josh Hamilton and say, oh no, Josh Hamilton's the one that's that's so much worse. I mean, you know, Josh Hamilton does uh, swing outside his own over 40% of the time and Beltre's under 40%, but they're not separated by a chasm. I mean, these aren't, he's not the most disciplined guy. He's very good at what he does and he makes a lot of contact, but he's not the most disciplined guy. So at some point, I think the, the, sw- the swinging strikes will start to come and the batting average will go down. Yeah, and, and Beltre has just been weird because his skills basically have peaked over the last couple of years, which is much later than the normal aging curves. I mean, he's improved his strikeout rate, he's improved his power, and this all coming in his early 30s. You don't see that often, so it's just been a weird aging curve for Beltre. Of course, this is ignoring his 2004 when he hit 48 home runs, but aside from that, he, he's been the best in his career over the last couple of years, and, and that's not normal. So he's been a bit of a weird case. And I'm not saying there's anything glaringly obvious to say that, oh, next year is the year he's going to start to decline, but it's going to happen, and I just wouldn't want to take the risk of paying how much it's going to take to, to get him with the idea that it, it could be 2014 that that decline starts. All right, well, that, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again next Thursday for more Fantasy Fun on the Sleeper on the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.